hello, you are listening to the Enter the Double Dragon podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Podcast Attic, and Stitcher. If you listen to us on your desktop, go through buzzprout.com. Be sure to also check the show notes for video links about the fighters we talk about today. Now for your hosts, Shane Greenwood, Trent Lawrence, and Hugh O'Donnell. Take it away, fellas. Okay, welcome back to episode 18 of Enter the Double Dragon Podcast. As as always, it's me, myself, Shane Greenwood, with the Trent Lawrence and the Hugh O'Donnell. Hello. Hello. Yeah, good day today. It's Sunday today. Um, it's also UFC day today. It's, uh, UFC fight night. My my versus Usman. I forgive you if you forgot. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not very memorable. But we'll talk about it a little bit. There's a few interesting things there. But um, but first off, uh, from there, we just uh, let's talk about uh, Luke's performance over in Cancun, Mexico, and uh, Ifma Worlds. Uh, uh, this is second time for Ifma. Uh, <clears throat> Luke's travel to with uh, thanks to the great sponsorship of A Tech Australia. Charlie and Denise over there, always grateful there for their um, patron, patronage. That one they sent over Luke and also sent over Rowan um, to help assistant coach. Uh, Luke ended up having uh, two fights in his division, like that's the ninety-one kilo division. First up was against Argentina. And um, have you seen this guy before, Hugh? Lucas Alessina. Mm. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of him. He's um, I like I. I think the thing pretty much everyone noticed when he matched with Luke initially is like he's a large man. Uh, this was a big bracket at 91. Like, a lot of these boys at 91 can, at that size, you can cut a fair bit even with the same day weigh-ins. I think that's what I saw from mm. Lucas. He's a big Argentinian. Um, more of a kickboxer MMA stylist. So there was a little bit of that kind of nuance of clinch fighting that he didn't quite have that I think Luke capitalized on. But yeah, a reasonably experienced professional kickboxer. So a good scout for Luke to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Luke managed to get the win there on points. Yeah, it was, it was a really, it was a pretty good fight for me. Like, yeah, it was, it was pretty clear cut for this one. Um, he unfortunately damaged his knee in that fight as well. It's like I think he got swept on uh, at one point. Yeah, there was like a kind of clinch exchange where, like, the Argentinian, like, basically being a less experienced clincher, his plan was just to kind of muscle and and shut the clinch down. So he wrapped his leg kind of around the back of Luke's, just have the ref come pull it apart. And Luke said he just heard a snap there. That was in the late first or early second round. Mm. That Luke then had to kind of battle through. The adrenaline would take care of it, but kind of had to battle through with that and then deal with it after. <laughs> yeah, it's like he carried on like you wouldn't really notice too much because he was still kind of like off balance and doing it like in front of flying up to his head every now and again. That one, but it's like uh, it kind of goes into that, which we might talk about later. Like last weekend was UFC when like uh, Raquel Pennington versus Amanda Nunes was on, and there was a point in the going out into the fifth round. Pennington just goes pretty much no mas. Yeah, <laughs> I'm done. I don't, I'm done. Which is like we'll elaborate we'll a bit later, but it kind of goes into what me and Ron were talking about going up to the second fight. Where it's like we're just contacting through WhatsApp from there. It's like he's <clears throat> just saying like you know how Luke's bad, Luke's knee is that. He says it's okay, but Luke went all that way and didn't want to let anyone down, which he wouldn't. Even if he did pull out from there, there's no shame in that. Yeah. See how fighting goes. But, like, you know, he wanted, he really wanted to represent Australia. He said he could still do it, he could still perform. So you get to that point as a coach, kind of thinking, well, he could, it's like, you know, we see them, saw the American guy fight, and we get, it's doable. Yeah. It's like, and it's, it's well within Luke's ballpark. But also, as well, you've got to think about what's going to happen after the fight. You don't want to limit a young man's career. By like you know giving him or like you know giving him the chance to have like a pretty much almost a career-ending injury if it goes wrong 
from that one. But <clears throat> but we just kind of decided really from there is like if we saw the knee in any shape or form really kind of like no lack of better terms to fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> from there, like, you know, it starts really well. I was like, you'd see him like, you know, really kind of limping on it just to throw it to town straight away, which is like, you know, probably like an MMA thing so that you don't see that very often. Like you know the kind of grit fruits and oh yeah they got like all I was hearing on heavy hands maybe a lot of coaches like you know uh, former fighters and they kind of think about them what they when that kind of decision there like you know as a fighter what you want but it's that's not really the mindset you want to have no it's you got to have it's as a coach's role you can't really think as a fighter because basically fighters don't make the best decisions all the no, time really <laughs> so we got to we got to even it out and just yeah. kind of like make make the right decisions for the long term you got to play the long game. You can't, yeah. you can't just think of what's happening this round now. You've got to think about what's going to happen later on. But as we saw in the second fight for Luke anyway, like, um, yeah, it's like there's a lot of, like, you know, as, as if anyone saw Luke fought before, like, there's a lot of stuff that he didn't usually do. Like, he's usually, like, you know, pretty dominant low-kicking game and things like that. wasn't quite there because it's just the limit of the knee. Um, probably some of the clinching as well, like, you know, it was really limited on because just stability-wise. But um, if you never saw him fight, you wouldn't notice because, like, yeah. you're still kind of scoring really good. I'm... Not too up on the scoring on IFMA too much. Like I heard it's like it's changed like almost like a Waco. Like yeah, yeah. everything scores. Not it's like very a amateur scoring now. Mm-hmm. In that, I, I guess to make it just a little bit more of a black and white points game. But it is a very like probably what people are more familiar with in amateur boxing. Just a landed technique scores a point and whoever has the most, most points at the end wins. Mm. Well, I guess it's just because like we, um, <clears throat> we want to get to, into the Olympics. Yeah. So, like, you know, make it a little bit more universal rules, which is good. I'd rather have universal rules. Yeah, as long as it's, we can work with any rules, we just need it to be uniform. Yeah. So, it's like, yeah. Well, that's going to the fact as well. Like, you know, going to nationals from there. I don't think it's nationals for us kind of schools like that. It hasn't in the past, but I assume it'll it'll trickle down to here. Yeah, because I think it's a pretty just a recent rule change as yeah. well from IFMA. But like you know, Luke had like it was an awesome fight from there. Um, the American guy ended up winning anyway, and just on a very close decision from that. And like you know, after like it was all said and done, Luke had a just relax at the moment. The fight was done, and then just collapsed straight to the to the canvas on the run, which is like, you know, pretty daunting if anyone saw that. Yeah, but, that was pretty scary. But uh, it was just his knee just finally just kind of gave out. As soon as he relaxed, it just got a little bit too unstable. Um, From the look of it, I think they're saying like it's a ruptured MCL, but come back home to Australia and get a really good check on it, which yeah. is, if it's MCL, that's okay. You can have that pretty good. It's the ACL that's going to really yeah, fuck you. Yeah, the ACL is the worry. <laughs> i got to say, Luke looked really good in the slow motion action replay after the fight. Throwing knees and elbows at close range. Mm. Yeah, it's like, slow mo. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's funny to see that. And it's like, you know, you go, ah, yeah, he must have won the fight. It's all the highlights yeah. of him. Yeah. Well, I think, like, Luke did more. Like, if you look at it from, like, more of a global scoring, he did more of the effective scores. It was just that the American just ran him up on numbers, really. Mm. Yeah. But... Overall, it was a good like result for Luke. You know, silver, just nothing to sneeze at. You know, second best in the world. Yeah. Um, and Oscar last... Castro was like probably Oscar Castro is the mm. American gentleman he fought. Probably the tournament favorite coming in. Yeah. Like he's really highly touted over there in the US and and the USMTF, which is like the equivalent of our Muay Thai Australia, doing a really good job with their team development. And I think he's the first gold medalist from America in, in a minute, and they had a pretty strong team. So I think these two could fight again. Oh yeah. I'm Maybe on the world that. stage as pros, like. Mm-hmm. I think they could both they oh, both headed up there. Yeah. Definitely. Um so yeah, so last year you got uh, bronze this year, silver and I guess where the pattern's gonna go next year. Yeah. <laughs> gold, gold. 
all the time. But <clears throat> overall, like it, it looked like it was a good event. Um, probably like a lack of participation from like a lot of the Eastern European countries. Supposedly they got denied visa. Well, they issue, they had visa issues when they landed in LA to transfer to Mexico. Yeah. So a lot of them got turned away. Um, which is unfortunate. Which was like there was a good story that went out that involved our, uh, my business associate and. Uh, head coach uh, Rowan Sangster was uh, <clears throat> it was helping out uh, corner one of the Afghani I think Afghani yeah, team Afghanistan. yeah teams like you know he was like his his uh, his team and his coaching stuff were all denied and somehow he got around it from there or well, maybe he took a different route he just he just wanted to really go to the FMA so he ended up just going by himself no no team whatsoever didn't even have anyone to corner him so it was good like um, that you know, Rowan stepped up, and also like a uh, one of the coaches from the Israeli team stepped up and helped him coach, which kind of just showed show you like you know that's what Muay Thai is about. Yeah, you know, it's just like helping everyone out. It's a sport, you know. It's like not everyone's just you know just out to just <laughs> just a war. From there, yeah. it's like you know just gotta help it, each other out, and because like you gotta respect someone that's come all this way and so much adversity to still just compete. Also, respect as well to the guy he ended up fighting from Russia. Mm. By the time the uh, the guy from Afghanistan got in, the Russian had already been given a walkthrough from his first round. And he elected to step back and give the, Af- the guy from Afghanistan a chance to compete. So he, uh, you know, threw his hat, his name back in the ring mm-hmm. to say, like, he would actually fight for the spot rather than being given the walkover, mm-hmm. which is, like, more people in Australia need to take, <laughs> take that. You know, you go there to fight, and this guy was given a pass, and when the opportunity arose, said, no, I'll actually compete for the spot. Yeah. And fair play to him, won it. Yeah, definitely, mate. Definitely. But um, end of the day, like, great event. Hopefully we get like yeah, get a team back there next year again with a, a few more additions from there. <laughs> I think it's um, Joe's results getting stronger and stronger every year. Yeah, and it's like in, it's really the thing. It's like you know, there's no real bum matches in Ifma either. No. It's, it's hard hard brackets from there. Like you know, you and you and Daniel fought in nationals, and Daniel punched his ticket on the way to there. And like yeah. you know, he came up with a really tough match against Canada. Yeah, you know, go for it. Yeah, from that one. And um, uh, also as well, like uh, Zoe from Phoenix Gym, she also got a silver. She had a killer run. Yeah, yeah. she she versed a girl from Finland. Finland first. Finland first, and then from USA, and then she faced a killer from Russia. That's like, you know, had like, you know, her first, uh, like the Russians first, if, if my fight, uh, if world champions was 2009. From that, and like, you know, Zoe's only just turned 18 now. So. Well, Zoe started training as a child, I believe, in 2009. Mm. So you think that this girl was competing in the world championships when Zoe was, however old she was, just starting in a kid's class in Muay Thai. It's like, to even be in that gold medal match with her is an achievement. Yeah. She's got a real bright fridge. Huge, yeah. But yeah, that was uh, the, how, how we went in IFMA from that one. And uh, hopefully we can get, when Luke comes back, we'll probably even get his own account on here on the podcast. And see, like you know, what what the things he saw on scenes as well, like you know, help us shed a little bit of light and get like you know, basically probably Australia even better by just uh, bringing that kind of information back to us. Ah, cool. So, <clears throat> a few things go uh, go on there. For, you know, took a little bit of high ass trying to get the weekly one done, but of course, like light gets in the way, namely my family. <laughs> 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 I, I had to drop them off like to China. So I like the airport to China. So I've been living the bachelor life for the last week. No one. Not bad. Okay. <laughs> Me and Trent went still saw Steel Panther. Nice. It was pretty good. Um, I'm going to go see Deadpool today. Or oh, Deadpool 2 today. I got the right tickets this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it helps. Yeah. <laughs> but like, um, let's hand it over to speaking of Trent. Let's hand it over to you, buddy. Hi. Um, yeah. I just want to talk quickly about ACB 13, uh, the Jiu-Jitsu event from last week. It's another super stacked Russian promotion. 
Thank you, rich Russian billionaires. I'll never stop thanking you <laughs> because you've uh, included athletes like Marcus Almeida and Leandro Lowe. So they're like two of the best in the world. Um, and they were um, title challenging against um, Jao, Jao Rocha and Gabriel Arge Is it Arge or Arge Arge? I don't know. I put an accent on don't it. Ask me figure it out. Nation. Sorry, Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the Marcus Bouchesha Almeida fight, you got a bit of shade thrown on it. There was accusations of like you know, stalling. I can understand that after five rounds, um, there was it was in round round four. Um, Almeida scored nine points to zero against um, Jao, but that was the only round where anything was scored. There was a lot of like stand up stalling, so not the most exciting sort of. It sounds like watch. a bit of a gameplay with those kind of events now. Yeah, I think so. Mm. This is like you know the first minute you get penalised for. So you'll see them stand up in 59 seconds, bang. Yeah. Do you think that's something in the future that they might address? Like, you know, because, you know, you want to make it a spectator, you want to make it as spectator yeah. as friendly as you can. Yeah. I mean, um, I think it's going to encourage stronger wrestling. Um, otherwise, you're just going to see people laying a minute the point guard. And once you start getting stronger wrestlers in there, that'll change it up. So I think they just need to give it more time. Um, I'm, I'm kind of happy with the wolf set I have there. Yeah. It's good to mix it up, you know what I mean? Having like five. <laughs> if you hear a ticking noise, <laughs> that was a ginger rat. That's, that's, a, that's a rat's inside the wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, anyway, it is what it is. Landro Lowe, um, he defeated um, Gabriel on points. Um, but, you know, that was a score in it, 2 0. Two zero four zero two zero three zero up to the future round, so that was pretty definitive. Uh, and there were some really super cool submissions. So um, best ones were from um, Keenan Cornelius. He had a reverse omoplata he hit. I was looking at that. I'm just kind of, I couldn't even understand it. I'm just looking at it. How did it work? <laughs> Maths, physics, yeah. equations, <laughs> yeah. No, that was a cool one. That was slick. Um, and uh, he just played his game, Cornelius. And um, Igor Silva with a flying armbar. Who doesn't love flying armbars? I want to see more of them in um, MLA. More flying submissions in general. Yeah, just in general. We'll talk about the super slick submissions in the UFC 224 <laughs> from last weekend, um, if you can call them that. It's a bit different when you combine punching. Ah, it's Yeah, sort of even seems like a <laughs> bit. <that> right? <laughs> it opens up more gateways to them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Gordon Ryan had his ACB debut uh, against Vinny Magalesh. Mm -hmm. I said that wrong. I Isn't it like a hundred ways to pronounce that? <laughs> yeah, Magalesh. Magalesh. Yeah. I take Uncle Hanach's pronunciations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Magalesh. Magalesh. Or, or fuckboy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of online rivalry between Gordon Ryan and, and Vinny. Um, so, yeah. I think it's like a, a fake shade they're throwing at each other. Ah, yeah. Um, Got to promote it. Yeah, but uh, Vinny shut down Gordon Ryan pretty effectively. Uh, there was none of the sort of um, leg-locking attacks, while well, there were, but, you know, they weren't effective. He couldn't get his rhythm, basically, Gordon. Um, Vinny took him down in the first round and passed his guard, so that was like 5-0 straight away in the first round. Hmm. So, um, yeah, he played a really smart game. Um, this is actually a, I just watched on BJJ Scout. They had a really good breakdown of, like, Vicky Marlesha's game. Against Scott Ryan, I can have to actually nullify the leg lockers from that one. I'll, yeah, I'll try and I'll post that in the notes. That's yeah. a really good good watch. He, uh, he did a, he did a good breakdown of last weekend's UFC two two four, and that um, the uh, 
no, I've just gone blank. This has gone blank. No. <laughs> <laughs> just, just look it up. It's on there. That, that, uh, the, fight, the fight with the Itish, um, and the guy who didn't lose. <laughs> oh, man. Sunday morning. I'm was, was that a BJJ scout one? Yes. Um, look it up. I looked at it last night, but I've got dementia from eating out of aluminium pots. <laughs> Latest fight from 224 post fight study. There it is. Oh, yeah. 222, uh, 224 post fight study. Yeah. Jack Hermanson's arm triangle defense. Yes, that's the one I was trying to remember. Yeah, look at that breakdown. That was It was a really good breakdown. Uh, how to defend an anaconda choke, basically. Even when it's on tight, I can't believe he survived that. Is it as good as Angel Lee's uh, arm bar <laughs> defense? Um, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just let it pop. And then, yeah. I'll, then I'll get out of it. It's like, yeah, cool. I'm going to let it snap. <laughs> Just like Jack O'Reilly did against Roger Gracie. He, oh, broke, yeah. he let his arm snap. He let Roger... Oh, this is a historical flight. Sorry to bore everybody. I think it was from 2005, 2006. Historical. Hmm? Jack O'Reilly <laughs> just, just let his arm snap against Roger Gracie. And then he won the fight on points. Victory with a broken arm. That's when he like... Um, it was in a gay, yeah? Yeah, and that's a yeah. Then he, just, he breaks his arm, stands up, tucks his hand into his yeah. belt, and goes, "All right, let's keep going." <laughs> yeah, YouTube it, or you jujitsu fans. Tim <laughs> Sylvia tried that, but Herb didn't let it. Ah, no, yeah, that's right. No, nah. <laughs> and rightly so. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Vinny shut down Gordon Ryan. Uh, he took him down, passed him, kept the points. Um, I think uh, with Gordon Ryan, he tried to. I think by the third round, he tried to like plays guard game, so he, he drops straight into guard, but then he just wouldn't let him get into that flow. So, yeah, he won that match. And then the uh, post, post-fight interview describes the mic. So, Leg locks don't work. He drops the mic and walks away. <laughs> that's, uh, that's an ongoing sort of troll field they're having, on, mm. having online against each other. Because you know, Vinny was doing leg locks before the death squad was around, the Danaher death squad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was his game. So, obviously, he knows they work. Mm. And, you know, from... A lot of his MMA fights, you can see his high-level jits. Just don't go back and look at his fight with um, Anthony Prosh. We'll, we'll just ignore <laughs> that, that was a blip. false start. Yeah, oh. we'll just ignore that little blip. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what's going on there? Uh, yeah, some other big names: uh, Roberto Cyborg defeated Urbos Santos by points. Romulo Barral defeated AJ Souza by a cross choke in round one. And uh, yeah. It was against our. Oh, sorry, I should have mentioned Kenny Cornelius's um, reverse Anaplata submission was against uh, Yuri Samoish. So that's he's no slouch. He's one of the top mm. competitors in the world. So that's even more impressive. Um, Louis Panzer defeated Ricardo Evangelista by triangle choke. Uh, yeah, there was Igor, Igor Silva. He got that flying armbar on Jackson Souza. And there were some other good fights. Uh, Isaac. Oh, Christ. Doe Durling. <clears throat> That's good enough. <laughs> he defeated Augusto Mendes on points. Edward Najin. Naj. Najmi? Najmi. You need to do what I do now. I just practice in front of a mirror. Yeah. Watching my mouth. <laughs> you got to renaked your choke. you everything. Rodrigo <laughs> Caparov. All the Jiu Jitsu fans know all these names, so I'm just going to read through them. Michael Laney defeated uh, Victor Silvero by referee decision. God, there wasn't any, any, there was nothing scored in three rounds in that one. Yeah. 
Um, Bruno Frazado defeated Nicholas Welker by ref decision. They both scored 6-6 six, six on each other in the first round of that, and there was nothing in the round two or three. And Ari Ferraris defeated Jao Somalia by Nibar in round three. That was a good fight, that one. That was the second match. If you want to jump through it, jump through to that one. It was good. Hmm. Yeah, so that's um, ACB. And next weekend in Sutherland, so this is a local show, um, ADCC, Abu Dhabi Combat Club, have got an event on. And um, the emphasis on that is, I guess, sort of um, multidiscipline grappling. So they like uh, they like people from different disciplines, jiu-jitsu, judo, sambo, wrestling, um, and it's a bit of a different rule set. So it's six-minute rounds. The first three minutes, there's no points, and then points kick in in the second half of the round. So interesting rule set. They're trying to encourage sort of more diverse wrestling and grappling styles. Mm. Check we- it out. Um, so that's like the eighty. So that's for that's for whole of Australia. This, this that's event. national. Yeah. Um, but they use them like feeders into the like, you know the biannual event every two years. You yeah. know the Olympics of grappling with ADCC. Would someone like Craig Jones have to compete in that, or would they just get an invite from last year? They they would uh, win a regional like uh, wherever they held the, the regional event yeah. that would get them into the uh, biannual event. Yeah. But they do have like invite matches there as well. They do do a lot of invites there. Hmm. Like someone like Craig, Craig Jones, I imagine now he'd, he'd get an invite now after his last performance. Yeah, doesn't have to compete on that. The little suits like, yeah, just yeah. don't worry about that, just come. Yeah, yeah. one for Lars, just, just turn up. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but there'll be a lot, a lot of uh, local competitors in that event, so get down there and support everyone. Good yeah. cool, good fun. <laughs> good times. Let's see. So was there any uh, UFC ones that you want to talk about as well? Um, we, do you want to wait? Yeah, okay. That's yeah, we'll go through it. break it up a bit. I'll give, I'll give you a break, mate. Look at okay. You're struggling a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, recently, uh, 1FC had another great event, and you watched most of it, didn't you, Hugh? Yeah, I watched um, most of one. One's on a pretty good time for us. Like, it was a little bit earlier. It'd be nice. But like on a Friday night, it'll start at about nine. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Like Usually, it's past my bedtime to watch it all, but I have caught most of it. Like, the MMA side of it was... I haven't been following one's MMA that closely, but there's the Angela Lee title defense at the top. Um, Martin Ewan, Australian Martin Ewan. Didn't even know he was fighting. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> fought um, Angela Lee's brother, actually. They were oh, both yeah? in title fights. Yeah, he won that one. Um, Did you watch it on the app? I downloaded the one actually. Well, it's interesting because you watch it on the app, but all the app does is take you to an unlisted YouTube stream. So I don't know why. They don't just stream it on YouTube. Like, I don't know what the benefits putting it on there. Because I always, when I share it out, I just use the YouTube stream yeah. because it's easier. And it's also like, when you watch it through the app, like the, the stream has no like uh, real functionality. Like I can't Chromecast it up to my TV. But when I get it, obviously on standalone YouTube, I can do all of that. So hmm. I feel like they're just making it, they're creating an unnecessary middleman by putting it on their app. It's just yeah. a YouTube stream that they host it through. So yeah, I watched it on the app, but I just... Well, I, yeah, I got the app yeah. as well, and I thought like there would be like, um, you know, fight links on there from the original, but like it's like really nothing on there. The app is effectively stagnant, but then if you have the app open while the stream is on, all these flames start going, and it says "Watch live now." Because so <laughs> like, I was when I, when I first went on the app, I was like, "Where do you actually watch?" Like, there's nowhere to navigate to. to it's effectively just a timer with until the next event, and then when the event starts, the whole app changes to a link to watch it. But um, yeah, Shinya Aoki was on there as well. He's mm. still fighting, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> that one, that was good. That was good. That was the one we hit the triangle. Yeah, that was one. Yeah. yeah, that was cool. 
against that was a senior fight yeah but um most interesting part for me is obviously the uh one super series is really getting moving now which is their muay thai and kickboxing league so there was three fights um littered through this card that were uh, two muay thai rules and one kickboxing rule they had um sing tong noi coming back for the first time in Four years or something, four or five years, and then in, during that time, I found out through the pre-fight promos he actually beat cancer. Oh, so, okay. yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's probably why. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty good reason to not be competing. Yeah, but he came back and looked slick against um Italian Joseph Lassiri. Mm. Just that all these fights that are non-title fights are three three-minute rounds, so even the full title rules ones have that kind of K one vibe where they, well, you know, I they guess have, it promotes more action. Yeah, and it, it does. Um. Yeah, that was just good. Seemed to know just too slick and, and cut him in the second or third. Mm-hmm. One on cut, but had a couple of knockdowns before that. He was sort of well, just... Well, it's even like in this one, FC, it's like, it was all small gloves. Was it yeah, like... all little gloves on this show. So the the first time they launched, I, I don't understand what they're doing all the time. I just watch it as it happens. But the first time they did a show, it was actually all in a ring, including the MMA, mm-hmm. sort of to give, like, make it a little bit more neutral to the, the stand-up fights. Mm-hmm. And then the second time they had, there was only one or two fights, like on a show last week, they had Muay Thai fights in big gloves in the cage. And this time, all the Muay Thai and kickboxing was just same format as MMA in the cage, little gloves. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't understand, like, there's no kind of consistency. Unless they're just trying to, like... Unless they're just really trialing everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to get numbers. Like, well, who wants to watch more of this? It's, it's actually weird watching Muay Thai with little gloves in the cage, because, like, every time they do a sweep or dump, go, yep, now to the ground. I go, oh, no, no, that's right. <laughs> they just let back up. Yeah. Like, get knocked down as well. I expect, yeah, oh, yeah, that guy's... Yeah, seeing an eight count in the cage is weird. Mm. I like, I always saw that when I was watching John Wayne Park's cage Muay Thai as well. It's like, it's... You are just sort of settling in to watch MMA and then it, it, you, you're just reminded every now and then when you see an eight count and stuff like that. So, that's a full-on Muay Thai rule set. Full, full yeah. Muay Thai okay. as it's... Gen- like, the, the, the Thai style of Muay Thai, like, I saw low elbows to the back of the head and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, just in a cage with little gloves. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't mind it. Yeah, I, I like watching it. The, we had Yod Tanklai on there as well. Fighting K1 rules, I'm not really sure what the deal there because like, I would have thought in... I, I know Yod Tanklai has been fighting kickboxing mostly the last few years, but I kind of thought that was for lack of opportunity in full title rules. I didn't know if he'd made the change. Yeah. But... Yeah, I know. Yeah, he fought Chris Nagimbi in a kickboxing fight and it was, that was unreal to watch. And I always like watching Yod Tanklai fight. That, I don't know if they could test it, but that he must be one of the most just powerful dudes in the world. Like, you see him when he... Like, everyone talks about Yod's kicking power, but his hand power is underrated. Like, he's... No, he's not that few people with just his hand. Yeah, he's equally... Like, everyone kind of talks about his left kick, but his, his left hand is equally as dangerous. And he's just like, I think if you're a southpaw, or if you're fighting a southpaw, Yod St. Clair is the guy to watch, is that he just has that transferable style between kickboxing and Muay Thai. It leads hands. And, like, the way he battles for foot position is excellent. Like... You always know with Southall's, like, the most obvious thing to say is, like, get your lead foot on the outside of your opponents to set up rear hand shots. But he'll happily stick his foot on the inside, in between his opponent's leg, and just push this sort of loaded power jab through. And just when you can kind of bring gloves up and get that discomfort, then he'll stick a a left hand through the middle. And then it's just like, Jocelyn Clark's one of those guys that you watch fight, and he just does a few seemingly basic things really well. But he just has them timed down to a science where he can just get it going all the time. Like, this was just a left hand 
lead right hook left kick clinic the whole time and he just and like Christian Gimby who he fought was just reaching like by the second round he's complaining about eye pokes that didn't happen and like he's just getting tooled up yeah turning his back and complaining about getting hit in the back of the head it's just like yeah <laughs> um, well it seems to be like you said like I said your style and it seems to be like you know the top left handers and well that's what you do like City Chai same thing uh, Giorgio Chitosin as well like you know yeah. obviously def- more defensively savvy and things like that but like it's really like especially from the South Pole, it's like you don't really need that much yeah, yeah just uh, then there's going to find find the home for those power shots from there like have a good left kick have a good left hand hook helps as well yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's just like what you really saw probably the more damaging combination from Jonathan Clark was just actually, he actually like he does some things pretty differently in that he will really like step in and lead with his rear left hand he puts the shoulder all the way through that which sets like the step across right hook off of the lead side and then just left kick on the end of it just left right left but just every punch is setting what comes after it like you know building that cadence and also positioning his opponent where he needs to land the next shot so by the time that kick comes across he's pushed them back with the left hand across with the right hook and then just sent them flying into that left kick which looks like you could see him welting Kristen Kimby's arms <laughs> up so badly doesn't look fun no so. not at all <laughs> I think I saw a breakdown for that Shinya Aoki fight as well. No. Yeah, I was just, it got my attention because um, I've been playing around with that triangle as a guard, and he used it really effectively that way with all the control he had on the, the guy, the random can he fought. <laughs> just practicing it. Forcing him to post his arm out and then hitting a cutting arm bar against his shoulder. Mm. That was that's something we've been doing at the gym a bit lately. I was like, oh, cool, it's legit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. It's like yeah, Shin. That's. Basically, Shinya's Aoki's game. Yeah. That one, <clears throat> just go to the back and like really, yeah, just play those kind of like guards and like yeah, hand control and like the like you said the Russian types that we've been practicing like that. Mm. Yeah, just transfer it to MMA. Yeah, very transferable. <laughs> um, I actually I watched uh, that uh, Sam Ace fight as well. Yeah, that's a good fight. Yeah, it was a really good fight. No, I'm just slick, fucking quick yeah. as well. That and kick, that fight. Like, um, a lot of the time when you see any league like this that tries to bring in elite ties they kind of get chin care matches mm. but Sergio Wilson from um, the Netherlands is a pretty honest yeah, match like good. he was a lion fight champion when that was a thing like beat Ongi and Topic for it um, really shut him out for it actually so he was an honest competitor but he just shut um, Sam A down I think the problem like as far as the plan from Sergio was he tried to go kick for kick with Sam A nah, nah that's, that's not going to work for you it's just <laughs> like like, that was the majority of what Sam A did was just, he would just let fire with kicks. And I thought he, like, he fought at a really nice five-round pace, like, just scored with the kick, scored with the kick, set that power, kind of made Sergio worry about it, and then sort of late in the third, and particularly in the fourth when he stopped it, really started to come forward with his whole arsenal once he established that respect for, for his kick. And then just ended up stopping it with, like, he scored one knockdown with an elbow, and then... um yeah, he scored a, a second knockdown, again, off of an elbow that, like, I think, from what I saw Sergio just said, like, I'm finished. Just sat there and just didn't answer <laughs> the count. But, yeah, a slick fight from Sam A. It's like, um, one as a league is probably the most exciting thing that's happened, particularly to full tie rules competition in a long time. Like, I don't think since, I don't know if you remember Muay Thai Premier League in the USA. Yeah. There's been a promotion that was actually doing full tie rules, not kickboxing, that had brought... That had put this much effort into bringing names in. Mm-hmm. And I actually think one has the resources to have a go at this for a while. Whereas, like, everything else that had attempted to do something like this, where they just bring in all these elite names in Muay Thai and actually try to build a Muay Thai league, have kind of 
that's been their starter. So they've run out of money pretty quickly, which mm. is like any starting out five promotion is going to lose money early. It's like, it's whether you have the resources to pull through. Going for that sort of Japanese fight promotion kind of vibe now. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just, yeah, it's very Japanese in like the entrances and they actually yeah. have the pride mm-hmm. <laughs> announcer. Yeah. yeah, that's right. They do. And I think the Asian market is more receptive to seeing different rule sets competing. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a hit there. It would be good to see if it could just build some attention in other countries. Yeah. The problem, the only thing that I find is the lack of consistency in that, like, I don't know if you listen to, um, John McCarthy on Joe Rogan this week and they kind of t- touched, uh, halfway through. yeah, they touched a little bit on like the growth of kickboxing and Muay Thai in the US. And he said, which is probably one of the better points is like a lot of the time people don't know what they're watching when they turn on a new league. And it's true because like when you're watching Bellator, a lot of people don't know if it's Muay Thai rules, if it's kickboxing, because there's no one number one league that everyone wants to fight. Mm. So really the best way to build either one would be to kind of make it a dominant rule set and run the other one out. But their stubbornness on both sides is that, like, kickboxing... You see, like, a lot of time in kickboxing, particularly, like, glory and stuff like that, a lot of the time when you watch an elite-level fight, it's two tie boxers that are fighting under a modified rule set that doesn't allow elbows and clinch. Mm. Like, if you asked either of them, they would prefer to fight. You know, they're just getting ripped apart in the clinch over and over again. Yeah. Because that's the, that's the rules that the platform is on. And then one kind of... It takes a new approach to that to allow two rule sets, but it also makes that a ton worse in that like when you're watching going, am I watching MMA Muay Thai especially when they're in the little gloves there's nothing to define it's like am I watching an MMA fight a Muay Thai fight or a kickboxing fight and it will lead to confusion in spectators like obviously especially if you're gonna have like are you gonna have a one because right now they have a one flyweight MMA world champion and a one flyweight Muay Thai world champion is it gonna be a one flyweight kickboxing champion like are you gonna have three world champions in the same weight class for different sports Yeah. or are they just gonna kind of do world like I, I imagine one's not super committed to doing world titles in divisions that aren't stacked. I don't think they care. Mm. So it's like, are you just going to create titles based on divisions you have people or a some like is kickboxing just going to be feature fights? It's not going to be an actual league with a championship. I assume there's some things to be worked out, but yeah, well, it's like you know, it's like yeah, what's the longevity of it? If yeah. like you know, being able to like you know, you, you want to stack the divisions from there. And, you know, you want to promote the divisions that's got good champions and that. I'm yeah. always excited to see. That, but like you know, it's like they do all the same. You start off with a lot of like just super fights as well. Yeah, right and that's just and that's more so just for the hardcore audience. But like you know, if you get a few people that are just watching just randomly anyway, and then they happen to see that fight in the process, you might make a fan out of it as well. Yeah, I think so. And I think like one are doing a good thing in that like the launch of the super series has co- coincided with the launch of every show going up live and free, which is good. Like the accessibility is good. Um, yeah, it's just that there's just King C worked out in whether it is sustainable to have multiple rule sets operating on your show. Because mm-hmm. they've even said they're not even committing to just having Muay Thai and kickboxing in Super Series. They said they'll do Taekwondo matches, karate fights, <laughs> like they'll do anything. <laughs> which is like, that just adds, like, like Sancho, even things like Sancho, like where it's close-ish to Thai and kickboxing is going to add to the confusion. Yeah. But it's like, I think if you can do that anyway, you can do it in Asia. It's just like, yeah. People will be cool with it, and like it's been fun so far. I've enjoyed watching one, and it's like it's kind of like the opposite thing for me. It's like I tune in to watch the kickboxing and the Muay Thai, and like I see MMA fight, fighters that I hadn't seen before. And mm. So it brings in in that way. Well, that's it. It's just like I said before, it just brings eyes on probably like you know something you 
most people not go out of the way to see anyway, and it makes more fans out of it. Yeah, yeah. I think they just need to push harder when they have different rules set for each fight. Push, push harder at the start of the match. Exactly what people are watching. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I think that being said, like with um, Michael Chavello on commentary is a bonus to them because he is quite good at it. Yeah. Um, separating two, but they also just have like there have been some issues with like not like I remember that I watched the first one, the first. One super serious fight was a kickboxing fight between Brad Riddell and Regent Earsel. And um, at the start of the fight, the commentator said, this is a kickboxing fight, so there'll be no knees. And um, I was like, okay, that's weird. Like, I understand that traditionally kickboxing is just punches and kicks. But what we understand kickboxing to be today is glory K1 type rules. Yeah. You know, punch, kick, and knee with no extended clinch. Mm. And then the first thing, like, Earsel half his game is knees. The first thing he threw is a knee, and then the commentator briefly said, that's illegal. And we're informed between rounds one and two that no, it's international kickboxing rules with knees without clinches. Like that's bad because you're telling, like, like I was watching a lot of like a lot of kneeing going back and forth, and the ref not caring. I was going, is the refing bad or is the commentating bad? Because mm. like, yeah, but is it just a, a lack of communication there? Yeah, you just have to kind of avoid things like that because then you just stump the growth of your own league. I mean, it's the same thing with judges, I find, is that I imagine they don't need too many because there's just not a lot of kind of, like, I don't think the referees do a whole lot. Like, you have to tell the referees coming into Muay Thai fights that they count someone who gets dropped and stuff like that. But I think they're kind of just letting them go. I don't, I think you'll probably see some non-traditional rules in the Muay Thai just because there has to be that transferability between officiating. Yeah. But what I also find is um, it's going to be interesting to see how all these fights are judged. If it's going to be like, are you going to judge kickboxing fights and Muay Thai fights differently as they kind of should be? They have different scoring systems. Or are you just going to apply a kind of blanket scoring yeah. to the MMA, the Muay Thai and the kickboxing, favor aggression, yeah. volume, not score kicks above punches and that kind of thing? Are you just going to be... Pretty much like we just talked about IFMA rules and Waco rules. Yeah, just make kind of a blanket scoring system. Damage, damage scores, doesn't matter what it is. That's okay. That's yeah. like, you kind of like, a lot of the rule traditionalists in Muay Thai, like, they really like everything to be exactly as it is in Thailand, but you have to give a little if you want international appeal. Yeah, that'd be good for an episode as well. Like, you know, why is Muay Thai scored like that? Short answer, gambling. But, <laughs> but like, um, but like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's scored like this time, but I always go, do you know why though? Yeah. Why is it? Why is the kick scored higher than that? Why? And like, you know, the, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a lot is, to get into, it? yeah. But like, um, but yeah, that's like I said, like, you know, like having the universal rules from there, like if you have Muay Thai, kickboxing, yeah, uh, MMA, yeah, like, you know, you just think fighting, you know, it's damage. You can damage someone most. Yeah, it doesn't have to be as hard as people make it. Mm. And like so far, it's been pretty good in one, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like uh, the fishing looks good. Also, I think it's as well, like, like, you know, when you've got really high level people against each other from there, they, they are also able to transfer between Muay Thai and kickboxing. Yeah, I think so. Stars. I think the majority of Mm-hmm. Elite level kickboxes. It makes it easier for like the officiating to not do too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do they kick the judges or the different? Yeah, that's what I don't know. Like, I imagine the judges are kids, but I don't know if they're really told that it's a different scoring system and stuff like that, or if they're just kind of yeah, as we we're saying, just given damage. Yeah. Damage is number one, which is really more or less how it is anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it's just when you're really splitting hairs that a lot of the kind of finer points come into it, but. It's also interesting to see how, like, I can already see when you see the ties in the little gloves and in that massive circular cage, it makes some differences to how Muay Thai is, and it kind of favours the ties. 
Yeah. I think it's like there's so much distance. Like where you're in trouble with a tie is where you catch yourself on the outside having to come in because that's where you run into kicks. That's where you are kind of allowing them to counter and allowing them to react to your entry. And you just have so much surface area in that cage that it becomes at that more MMA striking range where the guys are a little bit further away from each other and entering in. So it's like, yeah, you see how... Like, it would actually favor Yodsanklai a lot because he was... Like, Yodsanklai likes his pullback counters where he'll, like, pull his head backward off of a punch and let it fly past and then sort of throw a downward counter. And he just had all of this space to just move back and create space for those pull counters. So it's interesting to see how they adapt to not only the little gloves, but the, just the big surface area, the lack of corners and the lack of ropes. Because it kind of, like, it changes the game on, like dumps and sweeps in the clinch too because a lot of the time you see those things negated by ropes guys bounce into the ropes and um come back up but that doesn't happen in the cage they just kind of a there's so much more space to throw that you generally just see a clean dump to the to the floor and if they are near the cage they kind of just get thrown into the cage and go down they don't bounce back off the ropes and the fight continues yeah so it's like i think so far from what i've seen it's favoring the ties the little gloves is fine for them as well because they're so defensively active. Like, you don't see a lot of ties doing, like, just sort of double forearm guard. Nah. Elite ones anyway, they they work with their hands. So it's like... And it's deadly in the clinch when they actually can use grip in the way that ties train clinch. Mm. Like, they can actually like, engage their fingers and stuff like that, mm-hmm. use the open hand. So, yeah, it's, been pre- it's a pretty exciting thing to see. Yeah. We're tying the one And then cage. maybe trying to, like, you know, transition maybe a lot of those guys into MMA as well. I think that might be the overall plan, but I think, like... If they keep doing it, the transfer could come from the other way too. You could see some mm-hmm. MMA champions have a go at kickboxing and with that. I think that's a good thing just for combat sports. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm waiting for like little gloves boxing next. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of surprised <laughs> no one's really had a go at that. <laughs> it's like, give it time. If everyone's going to do it, it's probably going to be one. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool. David Ramos had a good transition in the last UFC last weekend. He's a, he's yeah. a people who don't know him, he's a world champion um, ADCC and IB, I don't know, was it? ACB, he just got a title on ACB, one of the recent ones. Mm. And um, 2015, he's, he got a title in um, ADCC, but he had a successful UFC last weekend. Yeah. Yep, he's using his jiu-jitsu really well. Jiu-jitsu, yeah. mm. See how it goes in the future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I can all see the game changes they make as well, that one. So, <clears throat> what if I have to talk about? Please. Oh, yeah. This is okay, you know. <laughs> we just say, like, it's like we're just subbing it in and out now. Yeah, <laughs> tag, 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 tag. All right. All right. Um, there was some good boxing on uh, the other weekend. Uh, that was some very good boxing. Lomachenko versus uh, well, Vasily Lomachenko versus Jorge Linares from there. Um, <clears throat> it, was, it was a really good fight. Like, uh, great fight. In terms of really like, you know, like Lomachenko is just great to watch no matter what. But Linares put up the stiffest test I've ever seen Lomachenko face ever since like, you know, Orlando Salido, of course, but that was a fucking dirty fight though. Yeah. But like this one was this really clean, good fight. So, um, let's talk about it. So just... Just straight off the bat, Lomachenko ended up winning anyway by, uh, by you know, uh, a rip to the liver uh, in the 10th round. But usually uh, when we uh, talk about Lomachenko fight, it's it's all about what Lomachenko did and things like that. So, but I didn't see it this way. I want to talk about what Linares did yeah. from that. It's like he did a lot of stuff where basically he made Lomachenko look really human from there. And also gives that question now to Lomachenko, you know, how far can he go? Like, have, is this, after this fight, is this the cap on the weight limit he can go? Like, you know, uh, it's like, you know, they talk about fighting Mikey Garcia, which after seeing 
fight Linares, which I think would be a terrible idea. Yeah, I think Lomachenko. that would be trouble. It'd be a lot of trouble from there. Mikey, uh, Mikey Garcia is an awesome fighter and a very long fighter compared to Lomachenko. That one, but um, let's talk about it a little bit from there. So, <clears throat> when we look at this fight, you got to also look at like uh, before even the fight started was like you know the physicality gap between the two. Lomachenko um, is a featherweight and a super featherweight champion, and he went up a division for this fight because he's just he's just clearing people out. You know, like was it? How many fights in a row now? He's like he's made people quit, not to stop him. He just made them quit. Like yeah, four. Yeah, I think four. Yeah, which is like unheard of. That one, but um, Linares himself uh, is a lightweight. Uh, current of what was after this, uh, before this fight, current WBA and former WBC champion, and a, a huge for that division. Anyways, a lightweight. So you're just looking straight off the bat, like this is Lomachenko's biggest opponent. Um, there was a four inch reach advantage for uh, for Linares in this one, um, which kind of played into the game a bit. But uh, if you look at Linares' game, in general, it's a very dedicated body puncher. Wears the gas uh, over a twelve round fight really wears people's gas tank down mm. from there. But also as well, it gets people dropping their guard a little bit more. So when he does eventually go back up top, he gets a cleaner shot at your melon on that. So briefly looking at the attacking of what uh, uh, Linares did, but I don't think it was really the major focus attack from there. But like you know, attacking wise, um, he's, he's just like he used his reach really effectively. You know, just kind of just making Lomachenko work like you know around his jab a bit more and. <clears throat> So, like, it's hard for Lomachenko to get that close middle range. And when he would come in from there, like, you know, uh, Lomachenko did come in, uh, Linares went to his body punching combinations from there. It's, <clears throat> it's like, um, well, where am I also? Oh, yeah. But like I said, like, the, the attacking was, I, I just didn't think, like, you know, was the biggest part of it. It's like, it was what he did uh, defensively to set up a lot of his attacks that will allow him to do his attacks. So, there was three distinct tactics that Linares used the, uh, at his disposal to try and nullify Lomachenko's movement and speed-based game. The first one was a pretty standard way of keeping a southpaw fighter away, which Lomachenko is, and um, Linares being an orthodox fighter, so if you don't know what southpaw is, it's left-handed. Orthodox is right-handed from there. Um, as, a, as a southpaw, you always want to strive to get your outside foot, as we talked with Johnson Clyde from there, on on the outside of your opponent's foot. It just gives you better power shots down the middle. It's cleaner, like straighter path from there and just kind of lends into like, you know, getting that left hand on people. Yeah. So, uh, so when we saw from there, it's like uh, Linares started to use like just a pretty basic um, strategy against the southpaw, which is throwing his lead hook to the head and body. So it's, it's effectively shuts the door on that lead foot exit um, that Lomachenko is always looking for. Um, and as Linares would do that as well, he'd step out and he's hooked, so it'd actually reverse the table. So you're looking at what Lomachenko's looking for, get my left hand in the middle, get my foot on the outside. But Orthodox fighter can do that too. I get my foot on, out on the outside, I've got my right hand down in the middle from there. So we saw like a lot of that in the early game. And like I said, it's a pretty basic game plan as well. It works though, that one. Um, the second tactic I'm using for... Uh, when Lomachenko eventually got in close enough to work from there, uh, <clears throat> Linares would start to use his lead arm and elbow on the outside of Lomachenko's lead arm and elbow. So, like, if it's, it's like a, it's a Philly Shell kind of position, but he only used it on the inside. If you don't know what that position is, imagine, like, putting your hand in your pocket, your elbow in front, like you're trying to poke him, and, you, and you're rolling your shoulder up to, uh, to the side of your chin. So that's, like, what, what your Philly Shell looks in that lead arm. So with that kind of winged elbow position there... 
he's just kind of using it to kind of corral uh, Lomachenko into the space he wants. So really, like, you know, standing in front of the bigger dude instead of Lomachenko using his, like, you know, very famous L turns to the outside there and working, like, really blistering combinations. But every time we got into that kind of exchange, you're seeing that, yep, that Philly Shell just work, uh, working with Linares to stop uh, Lomachenko moving at a lateral movement. So, like, it was a really smart gameplay. He used it a lot. That one, like, you know, Lomachenko just basically had to sit in front of him, which is not ideal against the bigger dude. That still worked very good, though. But, like, you know, probably just had to take more shots than he had to in his previous um, outings. So... And also as well, when you're using that kind of like, you know, that kind of uh, wing elbow kind of block, it, it, it lends into setting up your right hand very nicely because it kind of corrals them right into the line of it. Or you can use it to actually push yourself into position as well to land that right hand. So um, also the third tactic we saw him use from there is very, is like, you know, a lot of that lead arm work um, Linares used, he, uh, he had like, you know, different strategies for it. And the last strategy was he'd use a stiff arm. So when Lomachenko eventually did work work to the outside, because you're not going to fucking stop him. He's going to get there. Yeah. From that one, he's going to get there eventually. It's like when he got his foot on the outside and started to use the turns, Linares would use a stiff arm against the side of his neck. So essentially, you, know, you use your hand or your forearm against the lead forearm against the side of the neck there. And then as they spin, you can spin with them. So effectively, yeah. instead of them getting to the side of 90 degree angle of you, they're still in front of you, or you can keep turning so they're still kind of meeting you, and it's, it's effectively it's the barrier also. So if you like, if you're a long person, stiff arms are really good. Yeah. Um, well, if you look at Muay Thai, stiff arms, stiff arms are really good to set up um, kicks. Kicks. Yeah, because you need the range off of that. So we saw this kind of like you know, just kept playing out. It's like it was, if, if if you ever get a hold of this fight, it's like it just kind of just watches like you know how like Linares approached it from there. It's like, you know, he kept switching between these three tactics a lot with reasonable success mm. as well. Um, even to the point where in the sixth round, where like <clears throat> Lomachenko had to pressure it. He goes, fuck, I'm just going to pressure him and get this guy in. And he just walks straight into Linares' right hand. She's very short and stubborn. Probably caught him a little bit off his balance as well. Yeah. No, but fuck, when's the last time you've ever seen Lomachenko on his ass? I, don't, I can't even really remember. Maybe there's once in the Salido fight. Maybe, but I'm, I've never seen him really in trouble that ever. So, but like to his credit, Lomachenko's trigger, he, he popped, he popped up pretty quick after the AK jogged to the corner, just received his AK, oh, okay, and it didn't, didn't really seemingly affect him, but like, you know, you just seemed like from there, like, there seems to be, you could see the chinks in the armor starting, yeah. starting to play now off of that. Yeah, his composure was impressive, mm. like, especially for someone who's so known as being like the slick fighter like Lomachenko is, it's a lot of the time the real test is how do they deal with the adversity. His was fine, clear-headed, just that little march back to the corner. Yeah. <laughs> waited, waited the count out. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's just like, I think it's like just that solid amateur career as well. Yeah, that's true. It's just so many fights. So many fights. In that. But, but like um, like I said, in the end, though, from there, it's just like, you know, Lomachenko ended up winning. Um because, like, he just still kept the pressure on, though. It's like, yeah, it's like he, like, Linares was going to the body as well, but Lomachenko went pretty hard to the body also. Um, I'm guessing Linares does a big cut, because he's pretty big for that division. Yeah, he looks huge. Yeah. And, like, you know, it's hard to kind of, like, uh, and also the pace of the fight was fucking fast. It was, yeah. It was a really high-tempered pace. And for 12 rounds with a big weight cut from there, it's, something's got to give. Yeah, so, you can't have size and endurance. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible. It's just the way. It goes. That's biology. <laughs> like most, most of the time, I've seen like the nearest fight. Like he would take like little bit, uh, 
some some rounds off. Yeah. But this one he didn't. It was, he, he kept it up pretty good. But like same thing, like you know, Lomachenko found the way on the inside and just smacked him clean to the lever from that one, and and it just yeah just broke him down. He's just like um, Linares couldn't answer the count really, and like. He was saying afterwards, he goes, oh, I think the fight was stopped a bit early. He didn't even try to get up. No, he, 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 he <laughs> just tell by fighter's body language. Like, he got up in, like, the ref where he goes, he didn't protest. He goes, eh, okay. Just walks to the corner and goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> but it was also more of, like, he kind of sat through the count. It's not even like the ref took a look at him and stopped it, really. Mm. He just stayed on the floor. He just goes, nah. He decided during that count that the fight was over. Mm-hmm. It was a close fight, though. I still had probably Lomachenko up a couple rounds, but... It was close, for but sure. Like, um, yeah. But like I said, most other Lomachenko fights, it's almost like a shutout. Yeah. It was, it was a really good fight. I'd like to see that again. Yeah, definitely. But but like I said, like, you know, watch this fight and just see, like, you know, it, it kind of just shows us a little bit of the ceiling of Lomachenko from there. But then again, he might change something. He goes, look at this fight and just goes, okay, maybe I have to change a little bit of stuff up to see. But it depends who he fights next, really, after that. I don't really know too much, like, you know, in terms of, like, where he should go from there. Well, they're trying to do Pacquiao, but... Is that, yeah. It's not a fight I like. I don't like it. <laughs> Maybe I've heard not. talk of Gervonta as well. Mm. Yeah, that'd be But I don't know if that's, like, I don't know the degree of how serious that talk is, but I do see people talking about Lomachenko and Gervonta a lot. Yeah. It's an okay it, match. It's an okay match. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a hard division because there's not that many names in it. Yeah. Like, Lomachenko's obviously the top... I guess they want to fight Pacquiao because it's more so their name, but name value, yeah. It's like yeah, fuck. <laughs> Just watch Pacquiao get destroyed. It's not really on high on my radar. <laughs> no. Nah. But um, but yeah, but that fight was just it was an awesome fight, and I suggest anyone to go watch it. I might put it up in the show notes as well. I think it just only recently come out. Like, well, I was looking one for the English commentary, and then <laughs> all of it's yeah. in Russian. <laughs> yeah. So also, so last week. We had uh, UFC, uh, the UFC on. Um, it's one of those cards where you just get there. Yeah, not really like interesting. Like you know, it doesn't stand out. Like it's like, oh fuck, yeah. the names on there. I better watch this. Yeah. Who's the Who's the main event? Nunes versus Pennington. Fuck yeah, sign me up. <laughs> 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 awesome. But it, it ended up being alright. Like um, yeah, you said there's a fair few like uh, interesting submissions on there. Yeah, there's right? a fair bit of fair bit of grappling and jujitsu going on. But uh, the Hermanson. Um, he reckons he broke his rib in the second round against that fight with um, Talis Latish. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, in the, he had a broken rib in the second, but he stopped um, Latish in the third by TKO. And he was in obvious pain. Like, I, I thought he would have done halfway through. Absolutely. I thought he was just going to either not come out of his corner or it was going to be a quick finish on him. But it wasn't. It was like uh, he's, he's uh, how did it play out. He... Um, he got taken down and put in an anaconda choke, which is like a head-arm choke. But um, he defended it really well, that's, and that's how he survived. And check out the BJJ scout, scout breakdown for that. Um, he survived that and he reversed it, and he just ground and pounded him, TKO'd him, and got the win. So he really gutted it out. And, and you see the pain on his face, even in the post-fight interview. He, had to say, he was leaning on one of his trainers, and he was just, like, grimacing in agony. But, yeah, that was impressive. Um so yeah, that was a good that was a good uh, jujitsu defense clinic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Marcus Perez he defeated um, James um, Bochnovic via rear naked choke in the first round. That's towards the end of the first round. Um, w Ramos he's, he's a former ADCC and recent um, AC BJJ champion. Um, he defeated Nick Hine uh, by uh, 
was a re-naked choke, but it was more like a re-naked face prank. I heard, I heard it recently said, like, according to Brazilians, anything above the neck is a re-naked choke. So, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, he faked a jab to get a blast double takedown, um, and then he used a Kimura. That was a really impressive back take. He got the Kimura grip um, to get the back. And that's how we hit the re-naked choke. So it was that Kimura trap system yeah. that was in play. Um, yeah, so re-naked face crack. Um, and oh, yeah, Alexi, our um, Ezekiel master, Alexi Olenik, defeated Junior Albino, Albino with a submission in um, round one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he got him the same way he took out um, Victor Pesta with an Ezekiel choke from the bottom. And Albini had a mount, was mounted on top. So an Ezekiel choke, for people who don't know Jits, is normally done with the sleeves of your gi jacket. But this guy treated it like, um, I guess, uh, just imagine lying on your back and hitting a re-naked choke on someone from the front and then facing towards you. And then the arm that you'd normally, you know, uh, I think we need a camera. <laughs> so, so the arm that would be behind the behind the head would be in front of the in front of the face and go down across the across the throat. Mm. So that's like a, a, a naked Ezekiel choke. And it's the second time. Yeah, I was gonna say he's done that before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's and, insane. Yeah. yeah. So um yeah. You must have really fucking long arms or something like that. I had to pull it off. We go. I'm trying to imagine. Especially with gloves on, like you know, yeah, trying to yeah. shove through with that's right. gloves. I think that's just his hail mary because he was losing that fight. Mm. Oh, um, he usually does, doesn't he? Yeah, he's like he's you losing fight and then just gets totally oh, about the Ezekiel cool choke. Yeah. <laughs> he's like 40 years old. Like, yeah, I've been. He should have known better than to get in the clinch with him. He should have sort of checked the range and stood with him, mm. but he didn't do that. He's like, oh, now I'll take it down. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that was a bad move. I think everyone just probably thinks like you know, getting in that position goes. Like, you know, he ain't pulling that shit on me. Until eventually, <laughs> you just, eventually you just go, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, wait, yes, <laughs> he is. <laughs> it's too late. What have I done? What about Big Mac's submission? <laughs> Mackenzie Dern. Ah, Big Mac. Yeah, she she took out um, Amanda Cooper. That was in round one. That was um, a remake choke. So she landed a big overhand right and got Cooper. A big overhand right. Yeah. At least seven pounds bigger than... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to make the megaton jokes. That's her dad's name. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she was seven. Uh, it was actually probably closer to eight. Closer to eight, yeah. Over the weight limit. Well, because it's also, she was seven point whatever, like closer to eight pounds over the allowance. So yeah. really, like, for the class, that's like closer to nine pounds. She's almost at a weight division up. She's a weight division up, yeah. She's yeah. Yeah, she weighed in, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know anything yet. Like, has Dana White said anything she has to move up now? Like, he usually does with people. She said that they lean towards that, but then said if she goes and actually, like, stays at the Performance Institute and demonstrates that, like, she... Because, like, I don't know. Everyone's body's different, but her walk around weight could be lower. Mm. Like, when you saw her on the scale, she wasn't, like... Is she thick? Yeah. <laughs> Like she should just move up. Good fit though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just not for the class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not, not, not good for fighting. You know? But it's like what happened when like she had to leave the MMA lab because she just didn't train enough. Mm. That kind of that was kind yeah. of vague. They vagued it a little bit. Yeah. I, think, I think. I think the has to leave. I think they're like yeah, commitment. Like you know, yeah, training. That's well, her own words at the post fight press I saw were like they weren't happy with how she wanted to have a balanced lifestyle. Which to me says I didn't train enough. 
or I didn't spend enough time there. But or so like you are a professional fighter. You don't. Yeah, there's like, like I don't call my boss and say like I'm not coming today. I just want to have a balanced lifestyle. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like um, yeah, I know. It's like we'll see how she goes from there. But, but like, go find a twenty. What's yeah. going on at twenty five? Like just go up. It's a wasteland. Yeah, yeah. it's like you know. That's like a bit, she'll get a little bit more experience before she has to face Valentina Shemenko or anything. But yeah, you know, hopefully she can get a wake down. Yeah, or if it's like, well, she finds somewhere like, you know, basically that's like what's good for her. It's like instead of trying to make 115. Has she even made it? Like, she has made it. Mean, she made it in her first UFC fight. Twice yeah, every other time. Even in amateur level, she was head issues. Yeah. But like she said, she was 139 pounds when she arrived. For the fight, it's like you were never gonna make weight. No, nah. no, nah, nah. like you'd probably like it wouldn't have been that easy to make the class above. Like, obviously, she would have done that. But it didn't even look like she tried to cut water weight or anything like not that. Not really. Yeah. Got off the scale and went to the snack table as well. <laughs> like, what was running through her mind when she took that endorsement photo with the scale the week of the fight? Like, you knew you weren't gonna make weight. <laughs> ah, like, why did you accept that endorsement? <laughs> Surely they held off on paying her until she made weight. Like, surely no idiot from that company actually gave her some money for that. Oh, it's crazy. I'm and not buying that scale. And it's like, you know, what are you going to do as well? Like, it's like, uh, what's the stat now? I think, was it 11, 11. 11 fighters don't make weight? Yeah. And they're, they're 10, uh, 10 out of 11 and 1. I think, I'm not positive on this, it's like maybe all by stoppage as well. Yeah. Because you get to that point where you know you're not going to make weight and just go, well, I'm just got to stop trying now. And well, just walk in, take my purse cut. Yeah. Get a yeah, get a win bonus. Yeah, what I've also found is that for most of the people who miss weight, like they make more money taking the cut and accepting the win like taking the win bonus minus twenty percent than they would just showing up and risking the loss. So it's like you have to make them ineligible for win bonuses. Maybe they should take a point off or two points off. I don't mind that. Didn't Japan recently? Yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard yeah, Japan does that. That would be effective. Yeah, they just said um <laughs> Once in Japan, I was in K1 recently, mm. when uh, like a 65 kilo fight, the guy missed weight, so um, he had to wear 10s and his opponent mm. got to wear 8 ounce gloves, <laughs> his opponent got smaller gloves, and they automatically deducted, it. <laughs> they automatically deducted a point from round one. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Okay, yeah, that's fair. And they took like way more than half his money as well, like mm. pretty yeah. much all yeah, his money. Japan don't fuck around. Yeah. yeah. You're a professional fighter, be a professional <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Um, there was a there was a triangle in there too. Um, Cesar Ferreira. I'm going to say it that way. Mutante. Is that mutante? Mutante. 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 Well, that's mutant. Mutante. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> he, he, he defeated Carl um, Robinson uh, in the first round. So um, Cesar took him down, dragged, dragged him back down when he stood up again, and eventually found a triangle choke and Robinson. Didn't tap to it and went to sleep. Good night. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> and the Kelvin. Oh, yeah, that was a good fight. The Kelvin Gastelum fight. What do you guys think of the score there? I think Jack Array won it. You thought Jack Array won it? Yeah, I, I saw a lot of that. So, yeah. yeah. I think he did. No, it wouldn't have been one much, though. Yeah, it was pretty close. It was pretty yeah. close, really. I suppose you could go either way with it. Yeah. I mean, Kelvin's killing it as like a small middleweight as well. Yeah. Like, you got to think, like, had the size been. I mean, like. They say Kelvin, it's kind of the same thing. Like, people like Kelvin can't make 170. He can make 170. Mm. He could. Mm. Like, he just likes to eat. Yeah. Which is fine. He's like, too. Yeah. <laughs> that could benefit guys just being able to, like, eat a little bit the way they want. Why not? Well, that's what I was 
I think that's part of the podcast I'm too with John McCarthy now to say, you know, the, the all the weight classes are there. UFC don't choose to use yeah. them. Like, you know, they're meant to be 10 pounds apart. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like, you know, go like 10 pounds apart and then jump 15 pounds, 20 pounds afterwards. From there. Yeah, I think it should be, like, the way it is in the low, the newer weight classes, the lower one, how it kind of just goes... Uh, 25, 35, 45, 55. I think it should just then go 65, 75, 85, 95, 05. Then maybe like a, a... I don't think you need to keep going 10 pounds from there. You go maybe a 225 and then heavyweight yeah, anything yeah. above that. Of course. Mm. So, well, I think the same... <clears throat> what UFC's worried about is like watering that product and they go, well, fuck. They love this. title fights. Yeah. This is yeah. more of an excuse But also as well, like, yeah, look at today's fucking card. Maya versus Usman. Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible card. We're just watering it down, <laughs> you, bro. Yeah, see, like there's, there's not even like, yeah, there's not even like a, a title fight on that card either. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. Like I think the one of the really the, probably the biggest issue they have is at seventy because you have to make seventy five and sixty five. So you got to like mm. either vacate that belt and just give the champion the first crack at either sixty five or seventy five, or just let him pick a division and take the title ah, with him. Okay, that's fine. Especially that because Tyron really holds up. Yeah. 175. Or even just say, you can be the 175 champion and as an incentive for changing your weight class, you get the first crack at 65 belt. You can be a double champ right off the bat. Yeah. Let them do that. That's it. Why not? Yeah, why not? They, there'll be a lot, yeah, the, there'll be a lot more double, for, like, champions, double champions. Yeah. Now. Triple yeah. champions. <laughs> Might a new one. Like, I can see yeah. like, yeah, 45, 55, 65 being doable. They'll be like, you know, they'll, they'll draw kind of Gregor back into the triple champ. He's like, you 65. What triple champ? Why not? Belt for the war. Um, talking about the Jacare fight, he came close to finishing Gaston in the armbar in the first round. He gassed. And I, I don't necessarily think it was an, an, an age thing. I don't, I don't think Jacare is like 38. He's getting up there. With he's getting up there. He's pretty sure. experienced. But he sort of fought back, didn't he? He really he found a second wind and tried to come back from it. So um, he was guessing the second, but he found some more energy to keep fighting. Gasselman, he picked him apart in the third round to get the decision. But I don't know. I don't know if it was enough by the third. It was pretty close. It was really close, yeah. Maybe it was. His chin, yeah. He's got the chin to be up at 85. Yeah. And it's like he has that benefit of being up at 85 where like he doesn't cut any weight so his gas is just endless. Yeah. Yeah. And you're seeing like, I think what you see is like in a lot of his fights, like there's that speed differential. Is he's, he's a weight class lower naturally so he's a weight class quicker yeah. than the guys up at 85. But there is that thing is like against the, uh, the bigger 85ers, he will struggle to hurt them. He'll struggle to like, to really clip him with his hands. So that's where it kind of evens out. It's like you can have the gas and the speed, but if you can't have the impact, guys will find a way around it. Like if he fought Romero, they'd look two weight classes apart. Yeah. Love to see that fight though. Good fight. Yeah. Or him and Whitaker, they were all good yeah. matches. I was, like Kelvin at 85. Zachary should have had a title shot ages ago. And that yeah. fight kind of proved it to me because he's 38 and he can still stand and bang like that. And that was really close. Zachary could work was, his way back into a title fight. Yeah. That's right. That was a memorable fight. I don't yeah. think he's written off yet. Unlike, yeah. Unlike um, Machida and Vitor. <laughs> Vitor. Well, at least yeah. he's retired now. So. <laughs> For now, until Scott Coker calls him. Uh, yeah, exactly. Bellator's calling. Don't need all. Imagine that they're just yeah. like... Gets a, he gets a like new life when he, once he gets on those Indian reservations. He goes, oh, look at it. It's like, you know. Somebody pulls out in that heavyweight tournament in mm-hmm. 1996. <laughs> Not even 1996. Like 2010 TRT tour just shows up. Yeah, <laughs> every bit of 240 shredded. Scott Coker will be rolling up with a bag, like a bag with a dollar sign on it and 
you know, twirling his moustache and the cardio behind his cloak. Double pull out in the heavyweight mains, Vitor That's versus Mirko in Japan. Join me, yeah. Vitor. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> Stick around, Vitor. Yeah. But like, um, there's Machido. It's like, you know, kills two careers with the same technique. He yeah, that's him. how he kicks you out the door. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so get the fuck out of here. We want someone to retire. Um, Machida, come here. We've got so, something for you. So if you don't remember, like um, the kick that he landed against Vitor was pretty much a similar kick he landed against Randy Couture and then mm. Randy just goes, ah, that's enough. That's enough for me. <laughs> and the similar kick that Vitor got put down with yeah. by Anderson. Yeah. Well. So that's a weakness in <laughs> this game. Years, what, six or seven years earlier. Yeah. But, mm. yeah. but um, Couture lost his tooth. And, oh, no, yeah. lost his tooth. And his last ever fight, he gets his tooth knocked out by the chair. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. When they considered to his coming. He's brutal. Unlucky. Yeah, it's like, um, yeah, do you see that picture? Like, you know how, like, um, after he knocked Vitor down, he put his hands on his hips and just looked at him. Yeah. And I noticed the picture like, look what you made me do. You made me kill Vitor. You made me hurt him. It's like, you, do it to yourself, buddy. <laughs> but, like, yeah, a few things happen. Uh, like, you know, well, I guess monumental things happen in that card. Like, you know, people missing weight by heaps. Of, uh, uh, by heaps. It was interesting, um, but for the wrong reasons. Oh, uh, yeah. And, like, yeah, Vitor's career ending. Now, um, yeah. and also like the the the, the corner call from Pennington's, like it's just astounding. Does it cause a bit of debate? People yeah. are on two sides of this. I, so. I watched Fight Week mm. on Fox, and I asked Carl Mate and Richie Bass what they thought, and they both agreed with her corner sending mm. it back out. Well, that's a fight. I've seen a few fighters. Be it's always a, fight, it. a fighter's always going to agree with like, you mm. know. They send me out. Let me know. I said, well, I don't really see why, because like, yeah, you got out there, but did you? Win? They just did yeah. the difference. In MMA yeah. culture, there seems to just be this like there's or the last few years especially this real thing about like there's some pride point in just sticking with it and, mm. and staying out. But like, have you ever checked? Like, I think the thing is that you see like you ask fighters should the corner stop them. Fighters always say things like I never want my corner to stop a fight. Mm. But I think you're taking the wrong perspective on that. It's like I understand corners when someone's getting battered but they're still going after mm. it. And, then, and people always say, oh, they should have just stopped it. It took too much well, damage. Those, the, I think the best example is like, you know, like you saw Rappel Kenny and Hugh got the shit kicked out for four rounds. But then you go the Roy McDonald versus Robbie Law. Yeah. Same way I go. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'd send Rory out. Like, again, even though it was fucked, I go, nah, we can send him out for one more. He was still <laughs> mentally there. Yeah, but he, but wasn't, he wasn't begging to stop at the end of yeah. the fourth. It's different when the fighter themselves says, I'm done. Because it's like, they've mentally checked out now. Like, the, the only thing that's going to happen if you have said to yourself, this fight's over, and then you go fight more, you'll get stopped. Mm. 100%. If your mind is not going forward with it, yeah. you're just going to get stopped. Her eyes were swollen, and her yeah. nose was broken, and she was, she was broken mentally. She was done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it was just bad cornering, really. Yeah. That's what happened there. Because, like, yeah, it's like you said, if like if the fighter puts it out there to you, just go, well, there's, it's like, a, what is it? He's got to find a, a rocky moment where he just goes, no. I'm going to dig down deep and find it. Is it not? You know, <laughs> so she's rocky. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the real rocky, not that fucking rocky. Not that rocky. <laughs> the true rocky. Yeah. It's alone. Yeah, it does, does trouble. Yeah. And there's other, like, fights you've probably seen, like, where you like, you know, Corners that should have thrown the towel in from there. That, that seems like just to be an MMA thing in general. Like, you know, it's like, when the last time you seen a towel thrown in? Well, if you look yeah. in the actual unified rules, throwing the towel in is illegal. Yeah. It's not, it, it says throwing in the towel during competition is illegal. You yeah. can stop the fight between rounds, but during the fight, it's up to the fighters or the ref to stop it. So, yeah. yeah. I saw Nick Diaz throw the towel in for Nate Diaz against Josh Thompson. Hey. But the ref was stopping it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's it. All right. Um, let's just quickly for the end of today's like look at today's card. <clears throat> so if I can pull it up or look at my phone actually. It's going it's going on right now as we speak from there. So it's yep, yeah, UFC Fight Night one two nine. Uh Maya versus Usman in uh Chile. It was meant to be Pontenebio versus Usman, which would have been a great fight also. Yeah. This but this fight. kinda like raises its own yeah, yeah, its own questions from there. It's like see Maya like, you know, pretty much like, you know, just just getting on the tail end of now, creating a his title shot from there and like, you know, just gonna uh, got beaten by Kobe Covington from that. Um, and I kind of see... It's on there. Is it? can't tell. But Kamara Usman, like, I, I kind of see him as like a better version of Kobe Covington. Like, you know, more physically, uh, you know, opposing, yeah. a better wrestler with better wrestling credentials. And his striking is really coming along as well. Yeah. Nice and tidy. Yeah. So, who's who's picking who? I don't know. Usman. That's the only fight on this card I know. That's the only pick of you. <laughs> <laughs> you make me pick against Damien Ryan. <laughs> well, like, you know, with your track record with, with uh, Brazilians, you never pick against a Brazilian. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Tell me right now. He <laughs> probably picks against a Brazilian in Machida vs. Belfort. <laughs> <laughs> a true Brazilian? Which I'm going with Maya. Maya? Yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's it. I got it. Yeah. That one. But, like, yeah, no, it could definitely change around. Like, you know, especially, you know, It'd be interesting to see Usman's game plan. Is he going to stick, try and make it more of a boxing match, or is he going to go to what he knows, which is really like you know the takedowns? And I think it's that's why his striking's looking really good as well because he doesn't care usually about mm. takedowns. I don't, but like you know, for someone like Maya, do you really want to go into that playing field though? Yeah, you know that's mm. that's his bread and butter. Yeah, you know it's like you, when you get on the ground, there's like you know. Mm. You know, so that's like you're really rolling the dice. He wants know? it. That's hundred percent what he wants him to do. Go mm. to the ground. Yeah. But if he makes it just like really just a boxing match, then then yeah, like Myers' hands have gotten better, you know, from that. But it's it's, it's you know where he wants to go though. Mm. Like that. It's, it's not like he's searching for a boxing match. He uses his boxing or kickboxing just enough to set up that single leg. Yeah, go for the takedown, and then just work from there. Um, yeah, really on this card, there's not much else. With Janin Kamenier versus Dominic Rice. Rice. Um, I think none of those dudes have photos on Sherdog. Yeah. Dominic Reese is like, he, he looks okay in his conversation. He can knock out machine. You see all these things knock out, knock out, knock out. He might be something good in the future. Mm. Johnny Cannonier has looked good in flashes, but he also looked pretty shit in fights as well. <laughs> like yeah. him versus Glover Texera. Oh, just want to gouge my eyes out. That. <laughs> <laughs> that um, ah, uh, Alexa Grasso versus Tatiana Suarez. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm kind of interested in that. Hmm. Um, Alessia Grasso was, like, you know, really touted, like, you know, outside the UFC and Victor, like, and she really did look good outside of it, mm. like, as a, as a top prospect. And when she hit the UFC, though, it's, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, she seems, like, a lot more tentative from there. And, like, um, I think she even missed weight on a couple of fights as well. And she didn't really, she, fuck, she looked pretty shit against Felice Herring. In a, in a, in a oh, yeah. Lost. Mm. Yeah. And the Ronda, Ronda Marcus fight as well, was like, it was, that was, like, I don't know, but that decision was like kind of, yeah, a little bit. So, and then you got someone like uh, Tania Suarez from there, from the USA. Um, comes off the UFC tough, or like that tough series from there that no one watched. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no one watches from that. Um, and it's like, you know, she got a really good wrestling background from that. So, mm, I don't know. That, uh, anyway, 
random picks on this one, obviously. <laughs> you just got to throw it up and just go, who am I going to pick? Grasso. Yeah, Grasso. Grasso? She's very marketable. She needs to win more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that was the only name I remembered. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just go against the curve. I'll go Tatiana. Yeah, fair. Just, fair just for the shit of it. Why yeah. not? <laughs> but uh, other than that, there wasn't much else to cover, is there? Nope. Okay. Well, remember to always rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, I'll put an application for Spotify to hopefully hit there from them Ooh, soon. Spotify will be nice. Yeah. Um, and we'll watch us on buzzsprout.com. Okay. But other than that, thanks for listening again. Catch you later. See ya. See ya. Brutality. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah.